Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 11th, we are studying Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. The angel Gabriel appears to a virgin in Nazareth to give her the good news that she will conceive in her womb a son, a son who will be great and holy, the son of God himself. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word to date, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks for having me back, Pastor Apple. And I, I love that we're looking at this text, of course, very timely, but I really have been just really enjoying looking at the word order in uh, Luke in particular actually keeps coming up. And so uh, as a part of my dissertation work, so uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go and just totally nerd out on our poor audience, but I think that there's a lot of insights um, that you get from just paying close attention. That's fantastic, Pastor Espinoza. So as as we we're here at the very beginning of Luke still, only 25 verses in, but in terms of the the narrative he's been telling and Luke's overall shape and goal, what do we need to know as we approach what I think is a pretty familiar text today? I think it's important to uh, consider how different Luke's gospel is compared to the others. I mean, like every one of them has a very just a kind of different approach. Like you got Matthew, who's kind of like laying Jesus's life almost, kind of more like a almost like a biopic, like with some lot of similarities to to Moses. You, you got Mark, who's just kind of like saying like, hey, this is kind of uh, the preaching ministry. This is the thing that happened, this kind of phenomenon around AD 30. You've got John, who's kind of given this like kind of big overview of trying to kind of go all the way back from the very beginning of creation to, to the very end. Luke is, is, a different, is a different take. And so I, I think that it's, it's helpful to kind of to just appreciate how he is very kind of it's, it's interesting because it's like he's kind of almost framing things more in terms of John the Baptist with, with Jesus kind of being a thing that happens in the course of John doing his stuff. And so I think it's kind of weird for us to kind of even think of it that way, that <laughs> in some ways kind of like the protagonist is John, but I think it's kind of helpful uh, in, in a couple different respects. Well, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, that you do meet John early in each of the Gospels. He he does he comes up early. In fact, Mark starts with John. I mean, he says the beginning, the beginning of the gospel, but then the first person you really meet is is John preaching in the wilderness. And so, but Luke, Luke does rewind that account a little bit farther and gives you the birth narrative of John, which was yesterday. Yeah. But I mean, every every time I think you do see how you hear something happens concerning John, and then that serves as a forerunner to what's going to happen to Jesus, such that in absolutely everything John does and says. He is preparing the way for the Lord. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, all the all the gospels deal with John and have different aspects that they that they highlight. What's just so interesting is that Luke just I mean, he really just 
narrates John. I mean, like no other gospel gives us these details about the circumstances of John's birth. I mean, everything else is just kind of like, yeah, John, he was out there in the wilderness doing his thing. No questions beyond that. But but Luke is giving us this, I mean, really, I mean, this month by month account of what's going on while Elizabeth is pregnant. So I, I, I think that we have to pause and say, hang on a second. Why would Luke give us all this extra detail about John? Like, what's what's the importance here? And I, and I think that becomes critical because then when you try to interpret this, I, I think that there's a lot of questions about, well, hang on, like, how do you compare what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth and John versus what happened with Mary and Joseph and Jesus? And I think there's some good ways that we can compare that are maybe what Luke is actually up to. Then I think there's other things that we kind of just read into it and make comparisons that are maybe not so fair or that are that are kind of just maybe reading in comparisons that we would make that Luke didn't really have on his mind. We'll have the opportunity to take a look at some of those and, and do some of that compare and contrast. I mean, I think the way the narrative unfolds where you've got Gabriel has just appeared to Zechariah in the temple. Now Gabriel's going to appear to Mary. Then we're going to get some interaction between the families. Mary's going to go see Elizabeth and stay with them for a while. Then you get the actual birth of John, and then you get the birth of Jesus. So there is this almost ping-ponging back and forth between these two accounts, and they do interweave with each other. So I I think Luke invites us to consider these things together and to make comparisons and contrasts as we have the opportunity to do today. Mm -hmm. So... We've got the text before us. This is Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's the text for today. That's Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. So Pastor Espinoza, as as you were saying, John, the circumstances surrounding John's conception and birth now set the stage for what happens with Jesus. And Luke does that. He says in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's the way he frames this account for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and it's really kind of interesting that Jesus is, the, the, the birth announcement, right, for Jesus is put in terms of John, right? Like it, it, we don't actually get the same kind of timetable even for for Mary's pregnancy, right? I mean, this and this is part of the reason why people who kind of reconstruct things and try to harmonize uh, Matthew and Luke and stuff have a hard time because Luke doesn't like go into like a, a month by month kind of detail 
for for Mary's pregnancy, but he does he does with John's, and and it's interesting. You get as as famous as this little scene is the the Annunciation, right? We we have a, like a holiday, a traditional holiday for this Annunciation here to Mary. I mean, it's a relatively minor exchange between her and the angel, especially compared to what happens with Gabriel and Zechariah, who have like a kind of big, important back and forth thing going on. So it, it's kind of fascinating how in some ways G- Jesus's account here, the account with Mary is, is I don't know, it's, it's kind of just like a subtopic or like a subpoint for Luke at this, at this juncture. It's really still John the Baptist's story, and this is kind of a little bit of a uh, a, a detour, I'd say. Well, I think I think though that Luke is. I mean, maybe it, it seems like a do- detour if you're just reading it through the very first time. But as the as that road continues to try to stick with that that language, <laughs> I mean, you you do see which direction Luke wants to drive the car. If I can, if I'm, I don't know if that metaphor is going to work. <laughs> but I, I mean, I do think that. And I, I, again, I, I know we're we're just looking at these verses, but when you consider the scope of Luke's gospel. Like John himself says in the Apostle John's Gospel, chapter 3, he must increase, I must decrease. And I do think you see that within the shape of Luke's narrative as a whole. But here at the outset, John is playing a pretty major role, even though, I mean, we know the accounts, I think we know the account's going to be about Jesus. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. I mean, it's, I'd say the, the, the chapter here, Luke 1, is about John the Baptist. Primarily, not about Jesus primarily, but everything that Luke says about John the Baptist is primarily about Jesus. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, I mean, so that, that's just the thing. And you got and you got to take a look too at, at these birth announcements. It's it's pretty interesting because Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, "Well, I mean, it's interesting, kind of the way the way you might phrase it, right? It's like you know, the Gabriel shows up to earlier to to Zachariah and says." Hey, God's heard your prayer. You're gonna have a son, right? That's kind of the the, the point. Like, yay, a son! All right, for him, for him anyway. But for Mary, it, th- there's no. She was praying for a son. She's she's like a, a virgin, and she was getting ready to to go and and live with her, you know, betrothed husband. And th- she did not want to be pregnant right now because that's highly awkward. And and so the the message there is not like, hooray, Mary, you're gonna have a son. It's Hey, Mary, God has heard the prayers of not you, but your whole nation and people. And he is going to send, in fact, a good, righteous king who is going to overthrow the enemies of God. And, and oh, oh, right. By the way, Mary, he's chosen you to do it. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like just a very kind of different scope of good news. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the context of of those two announcements is is different. And you can imagine... Well, other, I mean, I know what happens with Zechariah. You, you can imagine what should have been that just great, joyful moment that Zechariah has, and, and he finds out, oh, finally, we're going to have a son. You, you can imagine that joy. Whereas, as you said, in the case of Mary, it is joyful, but it's a different sort of joy and is going to hit her in a, a different way because she was, she was not looking for this to happen. Zechariah wasn't either, but he had much more reason. I mean, that had been his prayer for some time, no doubt. As you said, Mary's not really praying for this, at least in the sense that praying that she would have a child herself. Sure, I, I would imagine she does seem to be described as a faithful Israelite when you read right. her narrative. And so surely her prayers would have been along with the whole nation that the Lord would send his Savior. Right. But but that he would make use of her womb to do so, that doesn't seem to be on Mary's radar. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's the bit, right? Like, so the the irony is that she she w- she would have been praying for this to happen along with the rest of the nation, just praying for it to happen in somebody else's womb, not not her own. That 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 that's just the, the but but right, but that so it does make kind of an interesting juxtaposition then for John the Baptist. Again, it, it's it's it, it isn't just like oh hey Ray, you're gonna have a son and you've always wanted to play catch with a boy and all this stuff, right? Like no, it's I mean. Similarly, it's he will uh, be great before the Lord. So that's a similar phrasing that you have with Jesus. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, make the way prepared. So, I mean, I think in some ways, yes, it's it's John the Baptist is playing this part in answering the prayer of the nation. But it's just that, yeah, for for Zechariah, it's like it's I don't know two birds with one stone, right? It's like it's. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. It's it's the Christmas present that like crosses like two of the things he wished for off the list. Like what? It's like both of them in one. So I mean, in some ways, it's sort of like Zechariah is getting more than he expected, but Mary's getting getting it a lot closer than than was expected. Right, right. And I think you're right on with Zechariah's prayer that it is. I mean, it's an answer to two prayers at once. The coming of John is an answer to his prayer that they would have a child, but even more so as a prayer or as an answer to the prayer for the Savior to come because the John the Baptist, the forerunner, needs to come before the Christ. And and in that way, and again, I know this is spoken to Mary, but Jesus is also a prayer for the, an answer to the prayer for the nation. But again, in a way that Mary was not going to be praying for personally, or at least we have no indication that yeah. that would have been a part of her prayer. Yeah. So so Pastor Espinoza, the beginning of the text, you know, we get these details. Luke Luke likes to do this. So he, he tells us a little bit about the people we're going to meet in the account. And so he, he gives us some information. It starts in the sixth month. We've already met Gabriel. But in terms of where Gabriel is sent by God, he's sent to the city in Galilee named Nazareth, to, I mean, we get some of these details, and Luke yeah. likes to be pretty detailed. What's significant about some of those things that that set the scene here for the Annunciation? Well, it is interesting that you get the city of Galilee named, actually, right? I mean, earlier, when you get some of this stuff about Zechariah and John and, and Elizabeth, I, I mean, let me, let me just see here. When, when she, well, this is like, so skipping ahead, I guess, which kind of implies about earlier, like in verse 39, it just says that she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, right? Like doesn't even say which one. I mean, like, I don't think there's actually like, I mean, anything here that specifically pinpoints where John the Baptist would have been born. I mean, I mean, apparently, I mean, presumably Zechariah is offering his service in the temple and Jerusalem. So, and so presumably that's kind of just obvious enough that Luke doesn't have to spell that out for us. But it is interesting that, that he finds, I don't know what, like important to, to name Nazareth as a location, where, whereas kind of the location, the exact location of John's birth just isn't really deemed relevant to his point. Yeah, that, that's a good, I think that's an interesting insight. And I, I think fits with, from what I understand, Nazareth, I mean, well, is it, it's at John's gospel where, where is it Philip and Nathaniel, they ask, can anything good come from? And so it is, it obviously John's doing something maybe different there when he records that, but to see that overlap that Nazareth probably isn't a town that you and I would think to name. And yet Luke does name that, whereas he doesn't name the town, the particular town name where John is born. And again, I I think that's another one of those indicators that even though the, the narrative of John's birth may be brought to the forefront here, 
Luke's still wanting us to to see this child that's being talked about that's in this right. text particularly. Yeah, I think that's right on. It's that even though this this whole chapter is is in kind of a basic sense primarily about John, this is one of those indications that even the stuff about John is really stuff about Jesus, right? Like the whole gospel is about him and not about John. And so that's why part of the reason that you get this, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I mean, without kind of zooming out that much, there is kind of the simple observation that Jesus, our Lord, became much more strongly associated with his, with the, with the place of his origin. I mean, you can get into like, is it a birthplace or is it a, like a childhood like place of being raised anyways. But that aside, right, like Jesus of Nazareth became a name, right? And in fact, early Christians were, were called like a Nazarenes, certain groups, right? And then kind of conflated also with other groups. So I mean, like the whole Nazareth thing was important, kind of in the same way that Mary of Magdala came to be known as Mary Magdalene, right? Like it's just or you, you think of uh, like uh, just famous people like Leonardo da Vinci, right? So like Vinci was strongly associated with this particular Leonardo, right? But John the Baptist didn't have that. And that probably had to do with the fact that he was just hanging out in the wilderness um, for a good chunk of his life. And the place where he, you know, was born or, or lived or grew up just wasn't really a big part of uh, how people came to think of him. Right, right. Now, the, the other detail that stands out within the introduction to this section is the, the matter of you've got, well, there's a virgin. That, that's that's pretty key detail that the, we're talking about a virgin. That's where Gabriel is sent, who's betrothed to this Joseph. And the detail that's mentioned is that of the house of David, which is going to be a part of, of Gabriel's own words. And, yeah. and without, we can talk more when we get to Gabriel's words to Mary, but just give us at least a a foretaste of that. Why, why is it significant that we're talking about the house of David? Yeah, right. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, he has kind of skipped out, skipped over another house already. Right. I mean, it, it, in, in verse five, he's talked about the house of Herod, right. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Right. And so that's, that's pretty interesting that you, you've kind of got the house of Herod, you know, kind of briefly mentioned here, but now we're kind of just, okay, put that aside. We're going to be start, starting to talk about the house of David, and we're going to talk much more about the house of David than the house of Herod. So, I mean, it's already setting up a conflict just, just by with this verse 27, right? It's like the house of Herod is the one that's in charge right now, but whoa, there's an angel of God going to the house of David. It's like, uh, th- like all the alarms and bells should be going off saying like God is, I mean, setting things up to just turn the tables. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And that again becomes important as Gabriel speaks to Mary. Now, so the virgin's name is Mary. We learned that as well. And she's going to be, it's going to be the interaction between her and Gabriel that dominates this text. So Gabriel comes to Mary and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Or as sometimes it's translated, hail Mary, <laughs> full, full of grace. grace. The Lord is, <laughs> the Lord with, is with me. <laughs> so, so Pastor Espinoza, what do, I mean, how, how do we understand Gabriel's greed? And this word that's translated in the ESV as favored one yeah. shows up again in verse 30, where Gabriel says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. What do yeah. we I mean? What do we make of this, especially in light of the way that this prayer 
while discreeting is used in so much of Christendom. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. Right? You mean you, you said prayer there, right? Because it's like that's it's right. kind of used careful. sort of as a as a prayer in in certain pieties. I mean, but, but but right. I mean, that's just the thing. You look at his actual words, and honestly, the like if you just kind of compare this to like other things in the Bible, the thing that this is closest to is when Boaz is gr- saying hi to the workers in his fields back in the book of Ruth, where it's like, hey, the Lord be with you. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's closer to that than, than like a prayer. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think you can absolutely take his words, oh, kyrias metasu, as the Lord be with you, Mary. So it, it seems like in many ways that what's going on is you have a friendly greeting, like a greeting of like one fellow Judai to another. And I think in some ways that's supported because it's like the greeting is so kind of familiar and friendly that that's why you get this mention in verse 29 that she was greatly troubled at the saying. It's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, I, I think there's this idea of, uh, hang, hang, do I know this guy? <laughs> like he's acting like he knows me. Um, like what's going on and and of course it's also just uh, i think that we can appreciate even in our context how man showing up kind of unannounced to a woman and being like today's your lucky day like how that can kind of you know creep you out (laughs) you're like whoa hang on a second like maybe i don't want what you're selling so i i think that the text is trying to get at this though that it's a it's it's a friendly it's a friendly greeting and maybe uh mary's just thrown off by that like hang on a second do you even know who i am i mean that that's something you, you i mentioned mary magdalene earlier most women in in this in this era in this place didn't like they didn't really have a name for themselves it was always just kind of like mary so-and-so's wife or mary so-and-so's mother mary so-and-so's daughter um and and so like if a woman came to be known kind of like on her own it was often in a less than flattering context so that there's this guy who even just seems to know who she is, who went out of his way to particularly greet her. I mean, I mean, I mean really, like you, you put the pieces together and it's Mary has lots of reasons to be concerned. Sure. I mean, he shows up out of nowhere, too. I mean, and, and he's an angel, which, again, I guess that's maybe his appearance isn't emphasized here. But generally speaking, when angels show up in the scriptures, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid, which Gabriel's coming to that. But but I mean, so he shows up out of nowhere. It's not it's not a surprise, I think, that she is troubled. Now, I, and I'm, I, I'm with you all the way on the Lord be with you standard greeting. But I do think where our friends in the Roman Catholic Church go with this has more to do with what Gabriel says to her in calling her, again, as it's translated in the ESV, O favored one. Mm. And again, what it when he says later, you have found favor with God. Yeah. How should we understand that, that she is the favored one? Yeah, yeah, no. So that's, that, that, that's an inter- and it's an interesting word, too, that doesn't pop up all the time. But... I mean, the, the idea of it, and it's, it's, it's important to kind of slow down and look at this because there's a lot of like words like grace and favor and bless. And like, we're going to see that again. Um, if you take a look at the next chunk of Luke tomorrow, where like Elizabeth is going to pronounce like these, these words of blessing. But the thing is, she actually uses different words 
for blessing that all just kind of get translated the same way. So it's like, okay, hang on a second. Like, what what are they actually saying? And, and this one is sort of like someone who has re- like really received like some kind of like undeserved benefit or like someone. I mean, I, I think the idea is 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 it's sort of like like you, you kind of like look at like fairy tales where or like Disney movies where it's like you, you get the poor peasant girl who finds out that she's got a fairy godmother and she's going to become a princess. I mean, I think it's kind of like that where it's all of a sudden like she she's kind of going from on a certain level from like a rags to riches scenario. And I think that's what the word means. It's like today your fortunes have changed. So I, I think that's what it's getting at. Much less any idea of like you're just like so holy or like you 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 were well born without sin is, is where the, our, our Roman Catholic friends would take it or or something like that, like something innate. It's, it's like, you hey, you your, your fortunes are changing today. That's right. Yeah. I mean, as, as Mary will sing here in just a little bit and in, in what we'll look at tomorrow, the, the one who is mighty has done great things for me, right? It's, yeah. it's a gift. And I think this word favor or grace, that's what's, what's being communicated here. And we're going to keep talking about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUL. We're looking at Luke chapter one with Pastor AJ Espinoza. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, January 11th. We're studying Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we are looking at the first part of this text, talking about the Annunciation of our Lord. And we were looking at, at the words in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And what that means that she is the favored one, that she's been given by God, that he has Again, as, as she will sing, raised her from her lowly estate. It just it struck me as you were talking, and we didn't really have a, we didn't have a time to talk about it on the other side. But it's, it struck me when we think about where what happens with John, and then what happens with Mary. You know, why why did the Lord? And, and this question, I suppose, isn't asked in in the first part of Luke. But why did the Lord choose Zechariah and Elizabeth? Well, the only thing we learn about Elizabeth in that text is that she's barren, and they're also old. But I mean, it, it strikes me then as a parallel to Mary that that the Lord made use of a barren woman in bringing John, the forerunner of the Christ, into the world, and now almost in a way that he ups the ante and, of course, fulfills promises in the Old Testament to bring the Christ into the world. He uses a virgin woman, which I mean, that's just like taking it to the nth degree, I suppose. And it, it, it strikes me again, there's nothing, I guess my point here with what you were saying is that there wasn't anything inherent in Elizabeth that caused the Lord to choose her to carry John. Mm-hmm. Similarly for Mary, it's the Lord giving his grace unmerited at all. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, it's hitting the nail on the head, I think. And of course, I think the, the, the story that, that Luke fills us in on regarding John the Baptist, definitely he's got the fingerprints of Samuel all over it, right? And of course, like in, in his, his name, even having that connection of like something asked for, right? In, in the story of his own mother asking for a son. But then the idea of because it's God who who makes it happen, that that child is kind of in some sense kind of owed to God. Also, because it's God kind of miraculously making this this happen, um, it, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a sign or it's like a, something kind of evidence almost that it, this is from God and it's not just kind of a, a normal happening. So I think all of those things, to your point, are ways in which kind of Really just Elizabeth's kind of neediness makes her a very suitable target for God's riches and, and for God's grace and just to be displayed more powerfully. And then as you said, like, well, how can, you know, God like up the ante, like, well, like instead of like giving a child to a barren woman, let's just give one to a virgin woman where it's not, not just kind of like very unlikely that she would have a child, but seemingly categorically impossible that she would have a child. And, um, and I, and I think that's what you get at in the difference of their reactions, like the words that, that each one of them says that it, it's interesting. Cause like in the ESV, it, it's translated very similarly, like in verse 34, Mary says, how will this be? Um, since I am a virgin, whereas before earlier, Zechariah said, what was it? He was like, how shall I know this in verse 18? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So seemingly, their, their responses are like very similar, but the word for how is different. Uh, ironically, the word for no actually shows up in both places. But <laughs> but uh, if, for for no, in the case of Zechariah, he's like, well, like on what basis can I be sure of this? Whereas Mary says, well, how can this be since I haven't like known a man? <laughs> so so it, it's it's just kind of interesting the ways that their responses are, are similar and different. But Mar Mary's question is basically like, how on earth is that even possible? I'm not sleeping with anybody. Like, what's it, what's going on? Whereas, whereas Zechariah is like, oh, no, like, how can I be sure this this just doesn't seem that likely? So, I mean, r really, the responses are. Are, are pretty different. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Pastor Espinoza. I, I do think that even within the question, and also the response of Gabriel in, in each case, I think, but even just in the question itself, I do think that that Mary's is, is a question that seeks more information. How that's never happened before, Gabriel, how in the world does that work? Whereas Zachariah's question is one that, I mean, how do I know that that's true or not? And and I I think that's that is a difference within the two. And then of course the way Gabriel reacts to the two I think gives us a clue as well as to where each is coming from. So before we get too far into that though, I, I yeah. want to talk a little more about the first part of Gabriel's yes. announcement. So after he, he Mary's been troubled, Gabriel says, "Don't be afraid. God has given you grace. You've you've been." That's like we talked about earlier. Yep. And then he says, this is what's going to happen. So you're going to conceive in your womb, bear a son. His name is going to be Jesus. And then here's who he's going to be. So this yes. is, I mean, he tells her about the child she's going to carry. What does Gabriel say about him? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's important too, as you were summarizing it, like there is no period after like, and bear a son. He keeps going. Like the, the whole point of his first sentence is, 
a, a boy is going to happen in his a boy named Jesus, right? Which is just a big, big, big signal. Like if we didn't have one already, right? The whole House of David bit. I mean, Jesus. And we we say Jesus, but the the name in like Hebrew Aramaic is Joshua. Okay, so this already just I mean, like we could like just stop the whole story here, and the people listening to Luke's tale originally would have kind of already had like a big reaction of like, we know what's up. I mean, God just skipped over the house of Herod, went to someone from the house of David and says, you're going to give birth to Joshua, like the great military leader who conquered the promised land and all this. And so already they're like, oh man, here comes the general. That's a line from uh, Hamilton. But like, it's kind of like that, right? It's like, here comes the general. And so verse 32 is just just an elaboration on that, really, just kind of fleshing it out where he's just saying, you know, he'll you know, be great, son of the most high. I mean, that's son of the most high. That's a title for the king of, I think of the Psalms and, and give, and just making it explicit, just in case we were like not picking up the hints, right? We'll give to him the throne of his father, David. I, I mean, so just, just all of this is just kind of an elaboration or just making explicit kind of what everyone's ears kind of already was anticipating that God is sending this big general warrior king to take over. I mean, I mean, and that the, the irony, of course, is that they don't know exactly in what way that's all going to happen. It's going to happen in a very counterintuitive way, but that that's for later. Certainly, certainly. I mean, and there you do have. I mean, there are some misconceptions, or, or I mean, in terms of what that's going to look like. You know, I mean, and even thinking about. John and the way he preaches later in the in the season of Advent, we recently heard John's preaching, and he talks about Jesus as the one who's going to, you know, separate the wheat and the chaff and throw the chaff in the yep. fire. And I mean, and it's almost like John is seeing the very end of the story without seeing how it's going to come first in the suffering and passion and, and death of Jesus first before all that judgment. I mean, and so I, I think that there there are these. Certainly, there were misconceptions at the time. There's still misconceptions about who Jesus is and and what he does and how he accomplishes these things. But you, I mean, you do see the very exalted language that Gabriel uses. And I mean, oh, this is in verse 32. He is going to be like he's the guy. If you thought King Herod was was important in in one verse five, or if you think coming up here in chapter two that Caesar Augustus and Quirinius are a really big deal. I mean, Gabriel says, you should pay attention to this kid, the the one that Mary's carrying. He's the one. That, I mean, and again, this is where I, I think Luke, as as much as some, some of these accounts about Jesus, they're like, it, it makes you kind of scratch your head a bit and say, wait a second, that that's it? Yeah. There's still these hints throughout that that even though you I mean you get the mention of Herod and Caesar Augustus and other important figures, like Jesus is the one you got to pay attention to because he's the one that is this king. Even if, as it when we get to chapter nineteen and following, particularly, I mean, even if when he, he accomplished it, it doesn't look like it, this is who he is and this is what he's up to. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think, and I think that, that that's right, and I think that. The the we the weirdness of it all right is that Luke by by mentioning Herod by mentioning Caesar later and by just using these phrases like he will the Lord God will give to him the, the throne of his father David of his kingdom there will be no end the only way of understanding this is here comes the general warrior king the savior who is going to conquer and displace. Herod and Caesar and and all these bad guys, these Edomites and the Romans, and and here here comes the guy who's going to deal with all these enemies, and the 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 thing 
that's so strange about this is that from our perspective, we think to ourselves, oh, well, those silly Judeans thinking that, but, the, but the, like they didn't understand like the spiritual truth of it. When, when, when really it's like kind of, we kind of have our heads on backwards because no, actually everything that they were thinking was true. Like Jesus actually was going to go and conquer the Romans and <laughs> the Herods and all of it. Um, and that's exactly what the book of Revelation explains, that, that it does all happen, but it just doesn't happen like with the timetable that everybody had in mind. But yeah, just, just wait. The Herodian dynasty is going to come down crashing and burning along with the temple in AD 70. And uh, around that same time too, the Julio-Claudian dynasty will also come crashing and burning. So it's all going to happen, just like John the Baptist says just 40 years later. Well, and, and even not, and I, the timing I think is part of it too, but I, I also go to what, or I think about what St. Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter one and the preaching of Christ crucified and how everybody, Greeks and Jews alike, they're looking for, was it Greeks seek wisdom and the Jews seek signs? Yeah. We preach Christ crucified. So not only the the timing of these things, but the manner in which Jesus right. accomplishes them, you know, that the the sign, where where is he named King of the Jews? That's right. They're on the cross. And yeah. they're like, wait a second, that's the king? And and the surprise is, yeah, that's the king. And he's yeah. doing precisely what he's supposed to. No, it's 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 like the ultimate gambit, right? Like so I I um I'm I'm just a very amateur chess player, but I really enjoy in chess how you have these gambit lines where you sacrifice a bunch of your pieces and seemingly get a disadvantage, but you're gaining board position uh, on the other person. And so all of a sudden, right, here comes your checkmate. And they thought like, oh, but I was up a, like a rook and a bishop and a, a knight, right? It's just kind of like the ultimate gambit play that, that Jesus makes. He's, he's going to actually beat the other side by seemingly forfeiting the game and letting his king get captured, which is just like, but how can you win? Like you automatically lose that way. You can't, you can't win that way. It's not possible, but it's like this crazy gambit. I mean, that's what Easter shows. I actually, if we just let the king die in this very particular way, we just win everything. I mean, and so, yeah, the, the, the method is, is, well, I mean, I mean, there's the, the upping the antis, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I mean, I think with with the language that Gabriel uses here, and it, it is very exalted language that he's he's using to describe Jesus. Maybe maybe the way that you do see this this hiddenness or the unexpected nature of the of the reign of Jesus coming in is in the fact that he is going to be conceived in the womb of a virgin. That this this king who's so glorious, who's going to have the throne of his father David and reign over Jacob forever and the kingdom is not going to have an end. Where where is he going to be at this very moment? He's the tiniest baby growing inside the womb of a virgin. Like wait a, wait a second. That's 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 the guy? Yeah, that's, right. that's the guy. And I mean so maybe that just the circumstances of the annunciation, the one to whom Gabriel is speaking the one the way in which God chooses to bring this savior into the world that's part of this hiddenness this unexpected nature of God's kingdom oh yeah ab absolutely I mean I, I think that and this is I think what Luke does set up in his gospel that there is this idea that there is a helplessness to Jesus to Mary and later we're going to see more helplessness right as Mary just you know stands there and just watches it happen right 
unable to do anything. It's that that's where God shows up, right? Like with God's people's backs up against the Red Sea and there's nothing they can do. And, and so in, in this situation where it's like you have a virgin in the later situation where you have a dead man in a tomb, right? And God is going to make life happen where it has no business happening. And, and that's and that's that's the crazy victory of God. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's. So Mary asked her question: How will this be? Since I'm a virgin, since I've not known a man. That's how it reads in the Greek. And then Gabriel, well, I just want to point out, like she she sure. says, like I have not no like, and I think it might even be like I I am not sleeping with a man. Like it's it's a it's a present tense, and so it, it might just be a way of kind of saying like Mary, you're you're very soon you're going to conceive. Which most people would take as, oh, okay, so my husband and I were we're, we're going to actually successfully conceive soon. Oh, very good news, right? <laughs> Except for she's like, but but we're not doing anything, <laughs> right. which you know might might be a way of like kind of an, an alarm of saying like, but but like I'm 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 not trying to you know do anything bad here, Gabriel, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, sure. So so with that, then, I mean, that's that's Mary's question. Again, a question that's seeking information, asked in faith, it seems. How, how does Gabriel answer her in verses 35 and following? Well, what's fascinating is that he just answers the question, right? Which, which in some ways you might not think he would do, given that the last time that he got asked a question, he didn't seem to respond in like, like such a friendly way. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's sort of like, I mean, he, he does kind of give them both what they want, right? I mean, Zechariah's like, well, how can I be sure of this? And he wants a sign. And and so he's like, oh, you want a sign? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, like, so here's a sign. And, and in some ways, Luke is, Luke's gospel is kind of like that. Like, I, I don't know why the, the Jews later like ask for a sign and he's like, well, okay, you want a sign? Here's the sign. And so there's this, there's this kind of like, be careful what you wish for thing almost going on where it's like, if you want a sign, like, okay, here's a sign. You might not like it, but you'll have your sign. Whereas Mary is just like, but, but, but I, I'm, I'm not doing anything bad. Right. Like, and, and the angel is, is very kind and he, he, he gives her the sign that she didn't even necessarily ask for because the sign now is John the Baptist, right? Hey, look, Mary, like, yeah, I know it seems impossible, but Hey, look, this other situation that seemed impossible, God made that happen. So it's possible with you. So I mean, I, I think that your your point there, like faith-seeking understanding, when you have faith-seeking understanding, God graciously gives her the sign that she didn't even ask for. Whereas before, when Zechariah is, I wouldn't say demanding a sign, but I mean, that's kind of the attitude a little bit. Like when, when we kind of like demand the sign in skepticism, God's like, okay, I'll give you a sign, but it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. I mean, and I know, I know Matthew is the one to bring up Isaiah seven, but that's the sign of Emmanuel in Isaiah seven. And which is, I think it, you know, it's in the background here, no doubt, because Mary is this virgin who gives birth to Emmanuel. I mean, and, and the sign of Emmanuel was when you look at it in the context of Isaiah seven, it was judgment to King yeah. Ahaz because right. he didn't believe. And, and exactly. yet for those who do believe it, it does confirm God's promises. And that, I think you're right. That's what that's that's part of the reason why Gabriel brings up John in this case is say, okay, Mary, this is what's going to happen to you. You will conceive. It's going to be done by the Holy Spirit. You will give birth to the Son of God, and so that I mean, so that you have confirmation for it. Know your know that your relative Elizabeth, she's going to give birth, and she was barren. And then mm-hmm. you get this this beautiful sentence, verse thirty seven. 
nothing will be impossible with God. And I do think it's a beautiful promise, though perhaps one we might take out of context. Yeah. What what does it mean in, in context that nothing's going to be impossible with God? Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> It, it, it's it's interesting. I, I think that we take it, we, we kind of just generalize this stuff, right? It's like how we, you, you go, you take the stuff from like Joshua, where it's like, like, wherever you go, I will bring you success and I will be with you. And so it's like, oh, that sounds like a good thing to put on a graduation card for our graduates this year, right? And so it's like, I'm not saying that like, it's, there's not like a certain level where you can piously do that. But the danger is that we just, we way take the stuff out of context. And he doesn't just say, nothing is impossible with God. There is a Greek word for nothing and it's not there. What he says is like, like uh, it will not be impossible for God. Um, kind of anything that I've just said, like, like, like everything, like everything that we're saying here is not going to be beyond God's grasp. Right. So it's, so it's actually a, a kind of a, a, a little bit of more of like a positive statement that is specifically referring to the the stuff that's at hand. I mean, kind of similar to how when Paul will later include in his letter that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not all things in general. It's all the stuff he's been talking about, like being going hungry and being scorned and being rejected and being kicked out of synagogues and being in prison and, and that sort of thing. I mean, so to put it in a, maybe to expand it a little bit, the the force of verse 37 be whenever God promises something, he's going to do that. Even if it looks impossible to your eyes, he will accomplish whatever he promises. Something like that. That's right. Yeah. Every promise of God will not fail to find its fulfillment. Hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that's, again, this is a beautiful promise. We should cling tightly to it, but we should apply it correctly to those promises of God such that when he says, I'm going to do this, we know he's going to do that. And we put our faith in what he says, not in some sort of general, well, whatever I can think of, I know God can do it. So maybe he will, right? That's, that's not the point, right? He will do what he says. It won't be impossible. And then in verse 38, we get the response of Mary, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Tell us, tell us how Mary responds. Why is that important? So it's interesting because it's important, but it's not important. It's it's not important in the sense that you actually get like this this very summary account of of what she says. It, this is not Luke going into all the detail like with Zechariah, giving like kind of all the details of his argument, where where it's kind of this back and forth. This is just kind of Mary saying like. Okay, sounds good. And then, and then the angel leaves. And that's actually the way he narrates it. Like it's kind of all said in like kind of one breath without any change in topics or anything like that. So on the one level, it's just kind of Mary says, okay, sounds good. And the angel goes bye-bye. Like, and that's, so on one level, we had to kind of appreciate that in the sense of this is, Luke is not trying to tell us, oh, this is kind of this big dramatic moment where like kind of Mary is kind of submitting herself to the will of God and making a decision to to follow him in the midst of things. And you should be like Mary. Like not, those things I just kind of paraphrase, like are not necessarily bad if you if you take them in the right context. But it's not really Luke's point foremost here. And, and to get it, then why her words are important, it, it's what, what when she says this, the, the thing that gets emphasized is is not like, hey, I, I'm the Lord's servant, like what, what, whatever, whatever he wants, right? Rather, she says, like, I, I am at the service of Yahweh. That's that's where that's where her stress falls in her sentence. The, the point is, hey, 
it, it's, it's all God in what he has said. And, and so I think that that is, is really, if, if we want to look at her words and kind of use them as an example to ourselves, we should be looking at that, how it, it's, it's not about like saying like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to kind of submit myself and sacrifice my autonomy. Mary starts off with the presupposition that she is a servant. She knows it. <laughs> Everyone knows it. It's just a matter of whose servant are you? And that's where she lands and says, like, I'm, I am a servant and I do take orders. And ultimately, it's, it's, it's God who's given me the orders and he's my master. And, and, and so just kind of landing on God, really, instead of kind of our own, like, kind of a decision, I, I think is instructive. Oh, I, I think that's very helpful to emphasize that Mary is the servant of the Lord, that, that she is at his service, and it fits nicely with what she even says, let it be to me according to your word, which Gabriel's yep. word in this case is the Lord's word. So I mean, yep. that, that fits nicely. And I think it, it dovetails very well with something else that Jesus says, and I think this is only in Luke. In Luke 17, Jesus is talking about what it means to be a servant. Mm. And in Luke 17, 10, he, he says this to his disciples, you also... When you have done all that you are commanded, yep. say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I mean, yep. and I think that's Mary's attitude right here. Oh, that's a beautiful connection. I, I think it's 100% right on. So Pastor Espinoza, with just about two minutes left, help us to wrap this text up. And again, see the good news of Jesus that we get in the Annunciation of our Lord. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that by kind of letting Mary kind of be a little bit of a, of a minor character, I, I think it helps us see Jesus more clearly. Like this is like not, no disrespect, obviously, to the mother of our Lord here, but it, it might not even be helpful to, to, to break it down like this story kind of where it's like, you no, know, as if this is kind of the big scene here in Luke and also about John the Baptist is kind of like ancillary. It's like, well, no, like just Mary, Mary is like trying to be a minor character. <laughs> like, so let her. I mean, this this isn't about this isn't about her. This isn't about her wishes or what she in particular was was praying for. Right. This is this is just like we were saying. Like, you you see this beautiful picture of how God, like you said, is just upping the ante. And when and when God's people are helpless, and then even more helpless than helpless. He is gracious and then even more gracious than, than gracious. And in that way, this completely sets up the resurrection that we're going to see in this book how John the Baptist is killed and Jesus is killed. And Jesus killed in a way that's even worse than John the Baptist, where it seems like there's just nothing backs up against the Red Sea. But here, if, if God is working life in the midst of barrenness, if he's filling with life that which was dark and formless and void, right? Well, he can do it again. And, and that's, that's just the pattern that you see throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that we see most clearly in, in the resurrection, which we're already getting that little bit of a taste of in this Christmas story. Pastor A.J. Espinoza is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, helping us today with Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Pastor Apple. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 1 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.